I'm Jason Sachs. I'm Amir Malikpour. And welcome to Classic Comics Cavalcade. We're continuing our exploration into great kid lit in comics with our first uh, Tintin volume, my very first Tintin book ever, Tintin in Tibet. I'd never read this before. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I remember reading this book uh, and I really wanted it when I was a kid. It was kind of, I remember it was hard to find a certain volumes. And this was one of them. I was very excited to read it. It was this one. And there's another one that I forget about actually, but. So you had to like hunt for it. This was one of these like kid holy grails where you'd go from bookstore to bookstore. Yeah. So I was obviously, I don't know if you have heard the other podcast with me on it, but I was born in Iran and I didn't come to the U.S. until I was 10. So majority of the comic books I read were Tintin and, you know, my, the ones that I read over and over and again, and they tore apart were the one where Tintin goes to the moon. I remember that Tintin in America. I remember, I love that one. And then, um, and this one I read, uh, I think this is towards the end of it. Um, and so um, I really was looking, I, I remember there's a little bit of a, there are interesting feelings when I read this book when I was a kid and then just remembering, remembering them was really, really fascinating to just kind of realize. Yeah. How does it read differently now than when you were a kid? I think uh, there is a, should we talk about the backstory to this story? It's a really. Sure. Yeah. And I, I got to say like your comments about Tintin are a little bit like my comments I had about Omega the Unknown, like, Mm-hmm. It's a comic that really hit me hard when I was a kid and really stuck yeah. in my mind for, for a long time. I mean, the funny thing about this is like, whether it has hit me, I actually used to read books at a really early age. So books were the ones that hit me hard. Tintin did not hit me hard, but it was the only, com- I mean, it did and it didn't. Uh, in retrospect, it did. But at the time, I just felt like it was another thing I was reading. And, uh, but I love the drawings and I love the comedy in it. Um, and so one of the things I also realized a lot of things about the comic that's like, uh, I think it's, it's important to talk about because of like, you know, it, it is a comic of its time. So there was racism, especially like Tintin in America, like some of the characters, they're named the way they, a five, six, five, six year old kid in Iran reading it in Farsi wouldn't really notice a lot of the racism and, mm-hmm. um, a lot of the things that you know are not acceptable nowadays but but for the most part i think this was a really nice it was a really fun thing to read and also what's interesting about it is that if i've since found that these comics apparently came in serials so there's a lot of redundancy from page to page things get repetitive a lot which can get boring for the modern comic book reader yeah, there's tiny, I noticed there's tiny little cliffhangers from page to page. There's one when they're riding in the taxi and there's a tack on the ground uh, and the taxi oh, yeah. misses hitting the tack. And it's like, this isn't really adventure. This is just like a little tiny hint to keep you coming back. But like yeah, the sequence it, where Tintin's hanging from the rope, like it really felt like, uh, you know, that was set up to add drama to this situation. Or when the yak comes up to him. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, so another thing about Herge is that 
he had assistants. I did not notice until maybe five, six months ago when I watched uh, you know, cartoonist Kathik talk about it. And then I looked it up and he had like a lot of famous other French or French or Belgio Franco, Franco-Belgium artists who assisted him on his art. So it wasn't, it, it was very similar to like the manga, the Japanese way of doing art where like you have people doing backgrounds and colors and things like that. So not all of it was done by him. And there isn't brevity in the story. There's a lot of repetitive things happening over and over again. And mm-hmm. Especially in the beginning of the story where like, like and a lot of the jokes, but I, I always remember what I most loved about this comic as a child. And I still enjoy to this day is, is the comedy, the dog and Captain Haddock, the two bumbling idiots. And, um, and what's so funny, what I, what I think is so funny about them is like my two favorite characters were pretty much the have substance abuse problems, Captain Haddock <laughs> and the dog. Because the dog is always getting in trouble because he's always trying to get the liquor that Haddock has. And Haddock uh, always like ends up going on these trips and going against reason when he starts getting drunk. And even in one point in the story, um, Tintin takes advantage of him by getting him drunk to come in with, on the journey. Right, right. Well, like the, the whole bit with the Yeti wanting to steal his alcohol because the Yeti loves his booze. Yeah, but there's another part where he doesn't have his booze and then Tintin is all like, I'm cold. Can you help me get my bourbon? Right. Knowing that Haddock is going to drink the whole bourbon and get drunk. And it's crazy. <laughs> very telling right so it's not he's not super heroic yeah yeah like crazy character did you have a chance to do some background reading on the inception of the story not on the story no so i did see i'm just like google and wikipedia and stuff um so basically uh he came up with the story and drew it and I think apparently he drew it himself amidst leaving his wife for his colorist who was about 20 to 30 years younger Hmm. and he was having a lot of anxiety around he was seeing a lot like when he was dreaming he was seeing a lot of white a lot of anxiety around like being impure leaving his wife breaking his quote-unquote scout oath to his wife and he went to therapist he even had had therapy sessions with one of the students with Carl Jung. He, wow. Yeah. Not with Carl, but one of his, his students. Of his students. Huh. And the student recommended that he stop doing Tintin and get his marital stuff in order, like get his thought process in order, become more pure, like, you know, don't break your marriage, you know, whatever he was doing. And um, so he ended up leaving his wife, but he stayed with Tintin. And you know, he, 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 he left his wife for his colorist. Huh. And, um, and uh, from that, you know, he thought about the purity and, you know, I think that's where the snow came and things like that. And then one thing that I think of that I remembered as a kid, I always remember reading this issue as a child and had a, my interpretation was always, it was, it felt like a love story where I mean, you know, I was a little kiss. I don't know about love. Tintin and Chang? Well, in a way, 
not a, not a love story but you know i didn't know what love was when i was a little kid some would say as if <laughs> i don't know as an adult but like uh <laughs> but i did feel like tintin went against reason everybody says this person is dead he went against reason went to tibet went to great length to try to find this friend who thought he thought was alive what everybody says was dead like the mm -hmm. plane crashed the sherpas looked at it you know all and it's like it is kind of like like the love part i think it is it is a love story in a certain way looking at it as an adult and then furthermore thinking about the other one about unrequited love from a yeti sense because the yeti loves chang too in a way and chang does not stay with i don't know if you we want to ruin this but well, this um, book came out 50 years ago yeah yeah but basically like chang his anyways he goes to save him chang's plane crashes i mean he finds out that he's crashed everybody thinks he's dead and chang is as kept alive by this beast this animal that chang is appreciative of the but he that he leaves at the end of the story and at the end of the story you see like the beast looking from far away like lamenting that <laughs> that this person is not around them they're lonely so i always thought of it as that way with friendship anyways is like some you know if and if you think about it from a romantic sense and i think having found the backstory of like leaving his wife being with his young wife like in a lot of ways like wow like yeah it's pretty crazy to me it's, it's like it's like romantic love because what if there's somebody that two people love and only one person can be with them, you know? The quest is like a classic, like story that you see in movies and novels all the time of someone having to do some quest to find their love, right? It, it's such a classic movie trope. You know, it's the English patient or something. You know, it, it's like as old as, as old as drama is really. And I, I it's funny you mentioned that because like at the very beginning, when they're playing chess and Tintin like cries out in his sleep, Chang, it's like he's obsessed with this boy. Mm -hmm. And then once he starts to investigate what's happening, like he's the only one who want, who kind of understands that Chang may have survived and he has to go on this quest to save his love. Um, it, it struck me that there's only two people who would have this kind of purity of motivation. One is someone who's madly in love. The other is just a young child who has a complete kind of idealized uh, perfection in their mind of what their friend is like. And then when Tintin and Chang get back together at the very, very end too, like they seem, I don't know, just very emotionally connected to each other. The yeah, power I mean, of their I eye contact yeah. and they're very physical with each other, you know, because Chang is <laughs> yeah, injured and stuff. But um, yeah. it really, he really does feel like a, a lost love or like, a very pure childhood friend. I think, yeah, like a childhood friend, like a best friend. Because to me, as a kid, I felt like they're both the same age, too. They're like kids, really. Like, I think of them as a kid. Because actually, Chang is from another book. Um, he met him in another book. I think it's like the... He met him in something, Lotus? The Blue Lotus. Okay. When he was in China. And Chang may have helped him. I don't really remember that. Oh, yeah. Cheng helped them like actually with some gangsters there. Yeah, I got, as, a, as someone who's read, you know, billions of American comics, I totally got the continuity. I thought that was really actually super clever to bring this character back. Oh, I, there's total continuity. There are characters that are like, 
And this was one of the most fun things. Like I never thought American comics were, I never thought comics were like this, but I loved it because sometimes you like Chang doesn't show up for like four or five books. It might be like, you know, three years ago and then he shows up again. It's just like American comics continuity. But yeah, he helped them in China um, infiltrate like a drug, um, um, what you want to call it? Uh, a drug syndicate. Drug syndicate, exactly. Like a heroin or something syndicate. One of those things you smoke. I don't know which one you smoke, but hashish or something. But yeah, so he helped them. And so like there's they've had adventures before. So it's like, uh, it is cool. Yeah. It's like this trusted best friend or this, this love that you're going to be yeah. having these adventures with. It's closer than friendship, right? Because they've saved each other's lives and yeah. quested after each other. Like it's very intimate. Mm-hmm. I like your yeah, comments it, about the Yeti too. Yeti's yeah. repulsive, but there was a little bit of like a Beauty and the Beast thing where the Yeti is like actually in love with Chang, or at least he, he comes lonely. to love Chang. Yeah. And no friends. The last panel is kind of heartbreaking. Yeah. Yet he left all by himself with no one around, no one to be with. Yeah. And he also acts like in the worst kind because they're here to save Chang and he like kidnaps him up on the hill, you know, takes him up the mountain. Because he, he's not socialized to know what he's supposed to do. He only knows what he knows. Mm-hmm. His life has been so kind of separate from everything else. Mm-hmm. like the yeti is not a villain you know what we were talking when we talked about carl barks a couple of weeks ago there's no villain in this story either just like there's no villain yeah. in the park story yeah and i think this is a little bit more complicated because um the yeti is kind of like a villain but you have sympathy for for it yeah i didn't feel like he was a villain i felt like he was a sympathetic character who you can empathize with i mean he's just making decisions based on what he knows and out of his loneliness and out of his mm-hmm. that's true God, poor guy like you think about like what a despairing life he must have mm-hmm. the yeti i mean yeah and i guess that shows her jay's uh brilliance too to make us empathize with a character like a yeti like a monster he's literally a monster right an alcoholic monster everybody's an alcoholic in this cartoon <laughs> yeah except for the monks Except for and Tintin, Tintin uses it too. Yeah, but even the dog looks as booze. Yeah. I got to mention those monk costumes and the designs in their monastery are just gorgeous. Mm. Oh, yeah. The coloring and everything on them is just so full of life. Uh, mm. Like I wanted this, I felt like I did spend time there. Oh yeah, it's beautiful. I mean, how did how did they have this amazing coloring back in the thirties? Mm-hmm. It was all hand done, right? Yeah, and how did they? How do we mess up coloring nowadays? Why is coloring <laughs> so terrible now? Because the coloring is just impeccable. Yeah. Like, like, there's so many scenes where just the contrast in colors is just right on for for what it needs to be, and like. So I'm paging through here, like the way the colorist has blues in the background of the ice cave and the grays in the background when they're wandering through the blizzard and then the white in the mountains and the green in the, uh, in the jungles. It's also like subtle, 
properly puts everything in the foreground and background, but it's just so cleanly done. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, people talk a lot about the, what do you call it, lean Claire style that Hergé has as an artist, but the coloring also does the same thing. Like looking at page 12 of this story when they're at the big temple, mm -hmm. like you get the splendor of the temple and the, the community and the people around it, but still you, the focus is on the storytelling. It's, there's tremendous detail, but it's all in the background. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's just a mastery of storytelling. Well, the, my favorite storytelling part, and I think we have different pages, perhaps. Oh yeah, yeah. But there is a there is one because I have it in like a compilation of like three stories in one. But there is one in the beginning where um, um, they're uh, they're walking up towards the mountain. Even before that, there's like three panels um, where uh, Captain Haddock is in front of them, and then he keeps getting tired. The second panel, he's tired, and in the last one, he's just tired. Everybody's passed them by. That's beautiful storytelling. Yeah. And this is so much, again, like Barks's mastery of the page, where it's so subtle, but it works so well. Mm -hmm. Such a simple idea. Yeah, it's really, it's funny, too. It's like, and I think that's the thing that I love about this. And it's this, funny. The comedy really holds up. I think it holds up more than barks perhaps mm -hmm. and maybe it's because it's the luxury of having multiple people work on it you know but the comedy and also maybe it's the kind of comedy i like you know just a drunk fool you know falling down and you know <laughs> you know just being an idiot had a you know moron you know <laughs> <laughs> but a lovable moron yeah running into all the guys carrying the stuff into bed Mm -hmm. I love that sequence of him like constantly like running, literally running into people and they're screaming at him in, in uh, their language. Mm -hmm. He just screams back at them. Like, it's just so ridiculous. Mm -hmm. And the scene like where he gets caught riding the cow, gets stuck riding the cow through the village. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's trying, he's being disrespectful and then he pays for it. Yeah. Yeah, maybe that's what I like about him. It's like, he, he's disrespectful and a screw up, but he always has his just uh, desserts, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then he eats the, the peppers, his mouth burns. So I think part of this is probably that Hergé had six months or something to do one of these albums and Barks was churning out a story a month, right? Oh, that's right, yeah, yeah. Like, a, you know, if Jack Kirby had been able to spend time on his comics, would they have all been masterpieces or would they have lost some of it, the brilliance? Just, there's no way of knowing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's the, that's the luxury that a lot of these European creators had. At the same time, like I said, uh, like we've talked about, like Hergé had assistants. Like Jack Kirby, I mean, I guess in, in our in America, you could say like inkers and colorists are separate, whereas in here, you know, it's, he's involved with all. But yeah, he did have a system for everything, you know. Well, he, I don't know very much about him, obviously, but it seems like he had time to really think through his stories. Mm -hmm. Although yeah. I like the kind of improvisational feel in the first part of the story too. Mm -hmm. It feels so loose. That's the other thing, like this, the storytelling is not tight at all. Like it yeah. just seems, he seems to be, 
kind of ambling and taking its time. And then once the momentum starts building, like it starts to get tighter and tighter. But I can imagine as a kid, like it started to tell us this kind of hangout comic in a way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then yeah, it emerges into this story. like, well, like like the Barks comics or like an Indiana Jones kind of story. You know what I would think of it as? I Have you ever read uh, Dennis the Menace in Hawaii? No, I've never read that. I think it might be the one of the largest selling, most reprinted, but it's basically the creators, they were paid to go to Hawaii to do research. They actually, they used to do that in those days when these comics made a lot of money. Right. So he had time to do the research. I think a lot of the stuff that he mentioned are pretty accurate. And a lot of stuff is pretty racist, but, but, but like the, like, you know, the sacred cow. I mean, a kid would never know that the cow is sacred in India unless you read this comic. Or you don't, I think back then in the 30s, you probably didn't have access to hot peppers, you know? Right. You know, or like it was like an exotic thing, you know, like a regular person wouldn't know about those things. He's telling um, us, yeah, and no kid would know anything about Tibet and India and the language that they were yeah. speaking. Mm-hmm. I noticed like the Sanskrit letters, and I'm, of course, I don't know any Sanskrit, but they look, actually like sanskrit i can imagine that blowing a kid's mind too like this alphabet looks so different Mm -hmm. yeah is that how you felt you remember feeling that way like you're going to these exotic places that were so different from iran yeah it was really fun i mean i distinctly remember tintin in america (laughs) because i liked cowboys you know and and guns and stuff like that so i was like oh wow cowboys he's dressed up as a cowboy he had the little um Yes, I remember that one. Tintin in America was really cool. I mean, because even like at my age, I got kind of swept away by the idea of seeing Tibet and imagining the mountains and watching mm-hmm. the monks up there. Yeah. I've been, I've been doing this thing where I've been watching, I've been really enjoying movies too that take you to another place in the world mm-hmm. because it's so hard to travel these days. Like virtual traveling has meant so much more to me. And yeah. You know, getting to travel to a place that feels like real Tibet was, yeah. you know, such a treat. Yeah. I, mean, I, I guess especially get... reading this on a plane where I could be, I could have been traveling to Tibet and not just boring old Seattle. I mean, I, um, you, I have like these other volumes here. Like I remember reading Cigars of Pharaoh, which you find out about Egyptian history, Blue Lotus about China, Tintin in America. You know, there's a crab with a golden claw. It's like Saudi Arabia. You had like the journey to the moon, Tintin and the Picaros, which was like Peru. And the, the you know, it's just amazing stuff, you know, like. Um, Should we do a little mini series about Tintin? Yeah, maybe uh, uh, we can talk about which one to talk about next. Okay. Because I really enjoyed this. Like I said, I had never read Erze or Tintin before. Uh, and I thought this is like just brilliant comics. It's, it's impossible to resist. Mm-hmm. It's pretty fun. Everything about like it better. was so, so beautifully done. Mm-hmm. And I see why this stuff has never gone out of print. I mean, this book is 60 years old or something. It's still like the biggest selling comic in France. They have like stores that are Tintin related. Oh, I believe it. 
you know, just kind of bring back that, you know, some of the cultural stuff that's not inappropriate, like the mm -hmm. main character, or Chang's name was Chang Chong Chen. And, you know, it's not phonetically, you know, it's not, I don't think there's anybody who's named like that. And, uh, but I looked online, I didn't see any complaints. I think it's probably because it's from the 1930s or whatever. But what it also reminded me of, and again, like on one end, it's not appropriate, but it reminded me of like, the naming conventions that Stanley used for characters like J. Jonah Jameson, Peter Parker, Bruce Banner. Mm -hmm. And I think, and none of the other characters are named like that. And I think he's like one of the main characters. So he wants the kids to remember the name. So I think that was interesting. At the same time, I think naming convention could have been better. Yeah. I don't know anything about what would be racist to a. I don't know either, but. Tibetan. Yeah. This did strike, this struck me as being pretty respectful. Mm -hmm. Aside from Chang's skin color. Well, there was, know. there was some stuff people, yeah, referring to that, but, but yeah, overall, it was surprisingly not as offensive as I thought. I agree. Because I know there are a lot of American comics that don't get printed because of being offensive, like Shazam and uh, a lot of, um, Eisner comic, not a lot, but at least one. Well, I thought like the way he portrays the folks in New Delhi felt respectful of them. He doesn't draw attention to any of their physical characteristics, mm -hmm. um, but they look like people who could be legitimately you know, Indians. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but and, yeah, I mean, it's a, I mean, yeah, but I, I loved, I mean, I loved it then. I really enjoyed it now. I'd be happy to read one. Let's talk about maybe in the future, which one will, maybe not right now, but okay. in the future. I got to say too, the, the book had me at the very beginning where Tintin's hiking out in the woods. That made me very happy since that's my, uh, one nice. of my favorite hobbies. Cool, awesome. Thanks, Amir. Thanks, Jason. Uh,